All right, welcome into the Autzen Audibles podcast uh, live stream edition. Uh, I'm Matt Prame, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on the show today. Welcome to your Friday. If you're uh, new on the on the live stream, thank you for watching. Hit that like button; it's always great. If you're listening on the podcast and you want to watch this show, just go to YouTube, Oregon Ducks on twenty four seven Sports, and you will find us there. Um, Portal Talk. Because today is like the last day players can be added into the portal. Um, the 18th of January was the last day that a player could actually go to the school and say, please put my name in there. Um, to make you help that understand like two different deadlines, schools have 48 hours to put a player into the portal upon hearing that. So today is that end of the 48 hour window. So we should have a good idea. Um, there could be a couple like stragglers to get in today. Wouldn't be a surprise, but we figured, Hey, let's recap things now. Um, 20 guys from Oregon's roster, non-scholarship players entered the transfer portal. Nine of those non-scholarship players. You mean scholarship yeah. players, right? Scholarship players. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, Walk on. There were a couple walk-ons that did not include them. They didn't play much this season, if at all. Um, nine transfers on defense, ten transfers on offense, one special teams transfer. Uh, Tom Snee. He wasn't with the team though this past season, but he still counts. Um, nine of those guys have have landed at Power Five schools. A couple of them in the Pac-12. Uh, five of them haven't picked a school yet, and then there's been some others that landed at places like Nevada or San Jose State. Um, do we want – I've got all 20 listed out here. We'll go to the, the additions here in a little bit as well. But do, do you want me to just list out the guys that, that have gone? It's a pretty long list um, or just the notables. Yeah, maybe – let's just run through some notables, maybe the ones that we think kind of matter. I mean, because I, I think when we were going through this process, how many times did we say – it stinks to lose players, but so many of these players really just didn't have a role at all on this right. last year's team. So maybe just hit the yeah. guys that were the yeah. too deep or who maybe fans are more I, familiar with. I think the bigger names obviously would be Justin Flo would be the, the maybe the biggest name, but not the biggest production. Mm -hmm. um, wide receiver Dante Thornton is maybe the biggest production, probably the second biggest name uh, on, on this list here. Um, and then we saw some guys like Byron Cardwell, um, Seven McGee, quarterback Jay Butterfield, uh, edge player Braden Swinson, who had a really good 2021 season but didn't really do anything in 2022. Um, Maliki Matavau, a tight end, is gone. Um, and then the mo maybe the most three recent guys, uh, Keanu Williams, a defensive lineman, and then two receivers who are going to be seniors this year. Uh, in 2023, Caleb Chapman and Isaiah Crocker. Um, I, I don't feel like to recap things. We, we've kind of said this a couple times, but do we feel like there's any guy out here that's like program altering with their departure? I don't feel like there is. Well, in the short term, program I mean, program altering could be taken a couple different ways. Like none of, none of these guys sure. are like earth shattering. Like, oh my gosh, they they can't replace that. But there are guys certainly who 
they'll have to find ways to replace because they would have had roles. Like I think Maliki Madavao is one that jumps right to right to my mind and, and, and Cam McCormick, yeah. the two tight ends, just because you now have kind of a scarcity there with three guys. I mean, I think that to me, and we'll get to kind of what positions they need to address later, but that to me is kind of at the forefront of my mind offensively, at least of like, gosh, you can't make it through a season with, with three tight ends. We've kind of on previous shows, and I'm sure we'll do that. So on this one, kind of addressed who could be a new, you know, an addition at that position. But that that certainly stands out. Um, you just kind of just running through the names. Uh, I mean, Dante Thornton certainly a, a really gifted athlete. I think to me, from a talent perspective of of kind of where the upside was, that might be the one that hurts the most. Now, I think Oregon has done a really good job to go out and address that with Treshawn Holden, and obviously with the prep additions, but. I think I've always been high on Thornton's natural physical abilities. Yeah. We saw that in and you know, kind of uh, up and down throughout his career. Obviously, the the Utah game being the, the, the most notable, where I think he had like 150 yards receiving or 140 or whatever it was. Um, so that that one kind of stings uh, defensively. I don't. I think most of the guys that left left in part because they just didn't have roles. Like I don't really know if there are too mm-hmm. many guys that I look at and go, "Gosh, that one." You can't really come back from. You would have said Justin Flo going into the season. Absolutely. But, but the reality is the guy just didn't really have any production. And by the end of the year was comp- almost out of the rotation. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I would say that over overall, the 20 guys you left, there are players that I think had upside to be contributors or guys that had a role in 2022 and, and probably would have had a, a similar role in 23. But overall, I think you, you feel pretty decent about kind of who you – who you cut bait on, and and then we'll get to a moment. Who you've added, I think clearly. I think you've won if you wanted to just look at it as a straight trade, which you can't. But if, if we wanted to look at it that way, we could, I guess. I think it's. Uh, I think I agree with Eric. It's kind of unfair to look at that as a straight trade off. Like all right, twenty guys out, X amount of guys in. Um, we'll get to scholarship numbers too in a moment, but you know, yeah. Oregon still has to cut a couple more. Not cut, but they have to lose a couple more guys. Um, but the guys that they have lost are, are mostly strictly depth pieces, which, again, big fan of depth, always helps in your program. But nobody had a, a huge instrumental role this past season from game one. Uh, Dante Thornton was probably the I, I think was the biggest guy. I think he will have a really good career at Tennessee if that's the only place he stays. Um, I just like his makeup and his skill set as intangibles. But again, he, he really only got a lot of this playing time because Chase Cota went down with an injury. So. It's not like he was a day one impact guy, but he was great depth for Oregon because you could rely on him if you needed, uh, if somebody did go down with an injury like Chase Cota did. Um, with Flo, he got injured and just never produced. Uh, couldn't couldn't jump in the pass coverage. Um, Cardwell is another bigger name, especially after his freshman season, after C.J. Verdell went down with an injury and he stepped in for that role with him and Travis Dye. Had a lot of expectations going into his first full season as a starter, which ended up that he was like the fourth running back on the roster. So uh, a lot of these guys are talented, and I think whatever school they go to, they can excel and they can make a name for themselves, similar to what Trey Benson did at Florida State. I think that's my best example of him because he was the high-profile guy. He was a four-star running back out of Mississippi. He was what everybody wanted to see on the field. They never saw it. Now he's on the field and producing well. That mm-hmm. that, yeah. that, that makes me feel like that's what Byron Carwell is going to be. That's what Dante Thornton is going to be. Guys that fans, general fans, wanted to see on the field because of their name brand value. That didn't work out here because other players were just better. They transfer and they do well at their other school. So I, I like mm-hmm. all these guys who entered the transfer portal. Um, but like Eric said, when you look at them and it's like, 
Well, we lost some production from last year, but most of the guys who were playing in front of them or are just better players and are higher up in the depth chart are back. And they're still here and they're still playing. And then you bring in guys like a Johnny Cornelius, guys like Treshawn Holden, Kyrie Jackson, and all these other players in the portal. And then your recruiting class. I, Oregon's going to be fine. It's a lot of guys on the very surface level. Um, but Texas A&M, who we always love bringing up on this podcast, uh, lost 25 players this year to the portal. 16 of them were blue chippers. Yeah, I heard. So that's a pretty good, pretty good number there. Uh, this is just how college football is going to be, which uh, I, I don't mind. It's a business. It's always been a business. Now it is up front and center a business, um, but it'll take some time to get used to. Not a lot of starts gone. Um, I Very think few. the most come with uh, Cam McCormick and Matavau departures. Um, they actually because... started. They actually started more games than Ferguson, which is a fact people probably mm -hmm. don't. Realize. Yes. Yes. Um, defensively, we saw Justin Flo get once two starts, excuse me, um, before his departure. Um, don't really see anybody else on this list of guys that, Thor that started. Thornton started. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thornton yeah, had that, a couple starts. That would be the extent of it, I think. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Guys. So, like, we're, we're talking. 24 positions, 12 games, 288 potential starts, and we're seeing roughly 20 starts of that be gone. Um, so, like like Eric said, Jared said, uh, depth hit, but no like real starters beyond McCormick and uh, Madaval departing here. Um, we should note. Oregon did add nine guys, and this is also a number that could change because um, the portal is all confusing. We're all figuring this out as it, as it goes. But the window to enter the portal it has passed, um, but that doesn't prevent guys from committing to schools if you are already in the portal. So this number could, should, will likely grow um, between now and May 1st when the second window – to enter the portal opens up again and it'll continue to grow probably until June, maybe even later than that. Uh, Oregon has nine guys. Jordan Birch is the highest rated of the nine, a four-star edge player from South Carolina was a five-star recruit coming out of high school. Um, Evan Williams, a safety was an all conference player for Fresno state. He has not been rated yet. He's in line. If you're wondering why he hasn't, he is in line. Connor Soule is another linebacker from ASU. Same thing. Hasn't been rated yet, but he is in line. Uh, Tez Johnson, the uh, adopted brother of Bo Nix. He is a three-star transfer recruit coming from Troy, their best player. Uh, and then you get down to some four-stars with uh, Johnny Cornelius, Junior Engelau, uh, Treshawn Holden, Justin Jacobs, uh, all of those guys coming from either a power five school or in Cornelius's perspective, uh, Rhode Island, but was like viewed as the top offensive tackle in the portal. And then there's also uh, Kyrie Jackson who came from Alabama, a three-star cornerback. Um, so nine, nine additions here, 20 departures. Um, I like what they did. Uh, you guys can give a better assessment because when we go to practice, uh, 
you guys have responsibilities of kind of really honing in on offense and defense and personnel and whatnot. Um, so you guys can give your opinions on ads here, but I, I, I like the group of nine. Um, I would always take more edge players, more offensive line type guys, but I don't know if that's a hundred percent needed or if it's even possible because of scholarships like Jared said, we'll get to that here in a second. Well, I think, I hate to say this. I think a lot of things are possible in terms of addition still, you know, and because, because, okay, Matt laid out for us. Is it 90 right now? 91. What's the scholarship count? What are they over? They are currently at 90. And I I think I figured it out Uh, off record here, uh, behind, behind the camera. um, We've been debating. Our numbers are a little bit different with James Crepe, other Oregonian. Um, Luke Basso is the one I'm like, I, I don't list as a scholarship player. I, I didn't. I didn't realize he was a scholarship player either. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm as big of a special teams guy as you get. And I think is that's he a the one. Player? I don't think There's he is. No way, right, Jared? He was. Yeah. Was wait? You got. He was not. He was in our uh, our walk on draft. Someone took him in our yeah. walk. James is James is cramming the numbers here. I don't James, know. James, James, James I know you're me. listening because you listen to everything. <laughs> so we're at ninety. Okay. Uh, I, I've got Oregon at ninety guys. Um, 14 of those are seniors, uh, 28 of them are juniors, seven of them are sophomores, and 41 will either be true freshmen or redshirt freshmen. Well, I mean, just to start, the the way the classes are split up is kind of untenable with the sophomore and senior classes being like nothing and the junior and freshman classes being like, what, 60? Was that 68 of the players? Like, I mean, it's like three quarters of your roster. So that'll be something to to breach uh, broach at some point. Um, uh, no, but I guess back to the back to the numbers thing I, I was talking about before we kind of got sidetracked with the, the scholarship math of you, you mentioned adding edge players. I, I think Oregon can continue to add players. I don't think there's really any question. Now, for every player you add, of course, you have to lose more, and I think it's pretty easy. I, and again, I don't even know how many times we want to go through this exercise, but you could look through this roster and pretty easily identify six to eight more players that probably aren't going to have a role or haven't at least proven to this point in their careers that they will have should. a role going forward, right? Or should, or just don't, doesn't, doesn't seem like they've proven that they can yet. So like, yeah, Oregon could, I think we're going to talk ads maybe in a moment. So I don't know if we want to jump into that too quickly, but you're right. Like Matt, I think they could add edge players. I think they could add, there's a couple players in the chat or at least one I've seen that mentioned that has tied to, to Oregon. That would also make sense. That'd be Ole Miss. I guess I'll pull it up from, yeah. was it, Trello, uh, that'd be Ole Miss safety uh, Tashim Johnson. I think that's the name to perhaps know. There's been a little bit of uh, rumor is he's here on campus this weekend. I was going to say yeah. There's a, there's some there's some rumor that he's making a visit. So that would be a name to know. Like Oregon is still very much actively looking to add. Um, so like yeah, or I think adding an edge player could make sense. But to add an edge player, you'd certainly want to remove an edge or defensive lineman from this roster because. Again, those listening to the podcast probably sounds like I'm beating a dead horse here, but they have so many scholarship players on their defensive front seven that that, that that's where like almost what a third of the roster right now is comprised. So at some point, if you're going to add there, you have to lose players there, which is why adding an edge player feels weird because you've already got like what 30 players in your defensive line. I mean, I know I think I'm exaggerating at this point, like 25. D line and edge is 25. You're not very far off, Eric. Yeah, it's not far. Yeah. It's 25. So, <laughs> 
So like, yeah, that, that's that's where you get into the weirdness of this. But yeah, Oregon could continue to add, and I wouldn't be stunned at all if they go and they if, if somebody hits the portal who's a really high end edge player who's maybe proven to have maybe he's got twenty career sacks or whatever, and he's sitting in the portal and it's unexpected. I wouldn't be surprised at all if Oregon makes a move for it. But at this point, I think uh, the scholarships are at where maybe if you're going to add there, you're going to undoubtedly subtract from from the, from the current group and. That's probably going to happen regardless of who you add, because I think if we do the exercise, which again, I hate to do, it's kind of not a lot of fun, but you could pretty easily point to several guys on the defensive line. That would make sense to leave. Yeah, but it, it just it's just how it is. And you look at these kids and... All right, Jared, let's Dan, do it. Name, Dan name, name, come, name them all. Name them all. Who sure. Are you, you want to actually go through it? I'll go through it with you. I'll put my name out there on these Matt, kids. Matt, do we, want to do, do we actually want to do this? <laughs> Anyways... Dan and company just continue to add guys. I mean, sure. And eventually, I mean, like eventually these, these guys are going to look at the roster and say, all right, well, I'm probably not starting over these people. And maybe it's just because of talent or maybe it's just because Dan and company like their profile more than other guys. Like, I don't know. I kind of look at it, how Jordan Riley and Casey Rogers both started last season over guys who were in the program before, like Keon Ware Hudson. And I really like Keon Ware Hudson as a player, but Maybe uh, someone that Dan brings in as a recruit or a transfer just fits their profile way better than uh, than what's currently on the roster. That's why there's six or seven remaining players from the class of 2021, Oregon's all-time highest-rated class in, in history. Uh, there are six or seven players remaining from. That's why there's only a handful of sophomores on this program. Um, that's That's what's going on. I mean – it's not as uh, it's not as steep as what Colorado's doing and bringing in forty plus players to the program and just kicking half the roster off the team, but it's getting there. It's in the thirties now for Oregon. Thirty six. Thirty six. Yeah. 30, so uh, thirty seven. Thirty seven. Thirty six or thirty seven. It's That's, getting there. But this is yeah. what is happening. I mean, this like what Dan runs is now completely different to what Mario Cristobal ran. Um, and if hypothetically, if Dan were to, were to leave and I don't know, um, who, Jim Harbaugh were to take over at Oregon, hey, wow, what a there win. you go. I'll, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give a good name. Uh, <laughs> the name. roster would look completely different with, yeah. with Jim Harbaugh than it would with Dan Lanning or Mario Cristobal. So this is just what's going to happen. And I, I mean, we can name names if you want, but there are plenty of guys on the defensive front that. You could see, you could anticipate getting into the transfer portal eventually. However, must I remind you that this does not need to get down to 85. The scholarships do not need to get down to 85 until fall camp begins. So Oregon could go in to spring football, theoretically, with 117 guys on scholarship. They just need 32 of them to leave by the end of spring football. So I kind of anticipate that's what Oregon is going to do. And it'll create a lot of motive or a lot of storylines, a lot of headlines from us. I'm sure all three of us will have one headline talking about Oregon is at 93 scholarships. What are they going to do? Um, but I think Dan has it fine. I know that a lot of people do not really like the idea of having this many players on scholarship, especially when it's over the budget. But it's just what's happening. There's there's nothing you can do about it. You have to just have you have to have faith in Dan to actually compute the numbers or his staff behind the scenes. But that is what they are paid to do. So I, I think that they know what they're doing. I mean, I, I don't think I don't think we're calling anybody out when we say guys like Michaela Fisi, Trevin Maai, Suavi Poti, and Keon Ware Hudson. Like Jake Shipley. Those those four, like 
you just go and look at, hey, look, Oregon added like 12 guys that could play your position or some kind of near your position group this offseason. And that's a stark call to those four of you need to get better because we're bringing in a bunch of dudes that play your position and the cream's, you know, the, the cream's going to rise to the top here. And I'm not saying all four of those guys need to leave. I'm not saying all four of those guys will stay. But when when you recruit that many guys at that position group, that's like a clear sign to those returners that, hey, like Dorless is gone after this season. Taki's gone after this season. Casey Rogers and Popo both gone too. Like they don't need to worry about the freshmen because they're gone. But for you four, uh, and you probably could say Jake Shipley in this group as well. Um, there's a large group of guys that play your position that are coming into the program. And if you want to play here, you need to get a lot better because they don't, they don't add as many guys as they did. If they didn't, if they felt like the upperclassmen are here and, and are going to be dudes, like they don't add that many guys. They add some for sure, but they don't add like 16 guys at that, at the, at D line or edge. Yeah, no, I, I I think I don't know. I Keon, I might separate slightly from that group because he was in your two deep last year and played quite. A I bit. would too. And and actually, PFF I think had him a higher grade than a lot of the guys up there. But uh, Shipley, I think, was out for that question in that group. And Afaese and Pody, like they were hurt this year. You could get a situation where those guys choose to medically retire. I don't think that's totally out of the realm of possibility just in terms of like what's the future of their career or, or they hit the portal. I just don't see either of those guys having a future here. And it's kind of strange that those, those are two names I just expected you'd already have in the portal. And I hate to give up on my guy, Trevin, my, cause anyone who's listened for a while knows I, I'm, I'm leading the bandwagon there. I'm, you know, uh, but I just don't know what the role is going forward. Um, you know, he, he was your backup to Brandon Dorless. Maybe he can maintain that, this year, we'll see, but I just don't know if the production's been quite there yet. And then Chipley is a guy who played a lot in the bowl game and actually had some kind of nice moments. But I also think in terms of just the body type and the athleticism maybe is kind of lacking. But we'll see. Maybe we will be wrong on that. But there, that, that group there makes a lot of sense. If you want to go into, into some of this uh, more, we could talk about – I see another name here from Trello, which is Avante Dickerson in the secondary. That one would make sense in terms of this is a guy who literally wasn't dressing on Saturdays for home games, didn't travel to any of the road games, like just basically didn't didn't have a role, on, you know, on Saturdays. So that, I'm surprised, frankly, he hasn't hit the part the portal. Darren Barkins, kind of a little bit elevated in terms of he was actually playing a little bit this last year, but I don't think there's any question he's behind three to four guys, depending on the development of Kyrie Jackson and, and Julio Florence and all those guys. So. Um, those are some more names offensively. I don't know how many there are, to be totally honest, because even though we talk about how the defense needs to improve and et cetera, the offense has fewer scholarship players. Like <laughs> there just isn't as much quote unquote, and that's the wrong term, but fat to trim. There isn't just as many players you can move off of because your depth would take a hit. Like we've already seen at tight end. So, um, I've seen Josh Delgado's name mentioned here. I, I, I guess, right? Like that could make sense. I just think you currently have, I think it's nine scholarship receivers and you get down to eight, you better be adding at that point. And better be adding because you can't play a season, I don't think, with eight scholarship 
wide receivers. So um, we'll kind of see on that one. But now I don't know if how many more names we really want to get into, but I think we've identified some of the ones that made sense. And frankly, some of the ones that we were really anticipating are the most recent ones. I think the Isaiah Crocker, Caleb Chapman, Keanu Williams trio were all ones we were kind of anticipating. And those at the portal, oh, I guess another one, just Damon David would also make sense. He was in the portal last year just to came back, come back. His role this year was largely special teams, barely played on defense. I don't know what his role going forward would be, especially with the additions they've made at his position, right? Like they've gone out and added Evan Williams. They're in on Jim yep. Johnson. Does he really have a role going forward, especially because he didn't have one this past year? Yeah. Um, I, I think those are all the names that if that, that we listed. Not that if we wanted a list because we just did. But uh, yeah, for 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 Damon David's sake, um, yeah, again, not a guy that wouldn't wouldn't be surprising. Offensively, I agree with Eric, where there are maybe some guys that you could see, but I, I don't know what the scholarship breakdown is in front of me. But I, it's a significant amount more for defense than it is for offense in terms of just pure scholarship numbers. Do you have that, Matt? How many scholarship uh, offenses? Got to be like 50, really 30. Quickly. Yeah, give us a count on that. Give me a second. I, it, it, for a while, it was really lopsided, and I don't. We're know. gonna have fifty-two players on the defensive side of the football, and they have. Um, should be thirty-eight. Should be thirty-eight. Thirty-five on offense. Oh, special teams included too, right? Yeah, the three special teams guys. There's three specialists: Luke Dunn, Andrew Boyle, Camden Lewis. Right, thirty-five guys on offense. Um, it's not a lot. You're, it is not a lot. You're, you're, you're literally playing 11 of those guys, and the other 11 are in your two deep, so there's just not as much to cut. Right. So I, I, I don't know. Oregon continues to add defensively and or looks to add defensively in the portal. Basically, every day there's a new name on defense attached to, to Oregon and Dan and Coach Hampton, who's going out and recruiting now. Um, I just find that interesting because, yeah, it's very clearly lopsided in terms of the scholarship distribution. It's all defense and very little offense, yet Oregon's few offensive additions this year have all been offensive linemen and uh, wide receivers, which obviously helps, but um, I, I, tight ends, I think there was a question earlier in the chat from Fish Bio. Here it is. Pull Only up. having three tight ends with one true freshman is a problem. We need two more, right? Uh, yes, I think they need two more. I think they need if they were to land Nicholas Harbor's uh, talents, that'd be great. I personally, I still believe that they need another tight end. I don't think that having four scholarship tight ends with two of them being true freshmen is the way to do it. I think you need at least one more guy to 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 have some depth and some experience. He needs to be your Cam McCormick role. He needs to be your Patrick Herbert role, which right now is your second tight end, who's a guy who's extremely injury prone and just played his first season last year. So I, I just think you need better depth there. And I know Kenyon Sadiq is really good. He's a human highlight reel on his high school tape. This is college. We'll see. There's another comment in our in our chat here that said, uh, stars don't lead to, to success on defense, just like our starting linebackers stunk. Um, that's true. And I could take that same narrative and bring it to Kenyon Sadiq, who's a very, very talented and high four-star recruit. We'll see what it looks like at the collegiate level but that's why I think they need at least two more tight ends. So like, that's where I see them adding on offense there, wide receiver, but I, mean, I don't know, man, the, the numbers just are strange for the defense to offense in terms of distribution. I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure I get it yet. Maybe 
Oregon's defense will be fantastic next well, year, and we'll figure it out. But if it, if they cut five on defense to get to the eighty-five hypothetically, and it's forty-five, thirty-five, or whatever, whatever the numbers end up being, I, I can't remember. I was, I think I did that wrong clearly. But like, if you cut, if if the five, if the five remaining players that left were all on defense, the numbers would end up looking a little bit more reasonable. Because, but I'm in, a, I'm in total agreement right now. You kind of look at it and go, "Gosh, this is kind of weird." And it reminds me of. Uh, maybe this is bad financial advice, but my financial planner was like, don't worry about your stock stuff. Like don't spend every day looking at it. Don't, don't stress about it. Just kind of maybe look at it at once or twice a year. Maybe that's the advice for the, the scholarship math of like, don't look at it every single day thinking it's, Oh my gosh, we're at 90 right now. Look at it when it matters. Like look at, look at it. You know, it's not, not that the numbers don't matter, but the people in charge of this are going to get this figured out. So those, those sweating the numbers, maybe don't sweat the numbers. And something that we haven't talked about yet, and we haven't really talked about in a very long time, because the school has done a tremendous job, whether it's Mario Cristobal before Dan Lanning, uh, or if it was Helfrich or Chip Kelly, was if they signed a guy, he got into school. There was like no worry at all about a player not getting into school not heard anything and this is where it's like unfair to, to, to throw this out there but maybe there's one or two guys that they're saying hey like we took his commitment he looked good in September to get into school and he didn't take care of his academics and now he's put himself in a bind where he's gonna have to really work hard the next four months five months to graduate and not only graduate but get admitted into the University of Oregon so maybe there's a guy on this team or a two on this team from a, from a commit list that Oregon just knows like, Hey, it's, it's probably going to be unlikely he gets into school. So we need to, we need to add another guy because they're never going to come out and say, right. This guy didn't get in. Uh, there, that brings us to this kind of point, which I thought was interesting from the sturdy 21. Uh, it is, is it possible that they are also working under the assumption that some 2023 recruits will come into spring camp and either want to go closer to home or don't jive uh, like they thought they would. I'm not again. We're not saying that could happen, but that's another way for scholarship. It has change. happened at Oregon. Yeah, Who's that I mean, running back from like North Carolina? Jamal, Jamal Elliott. Elliott. And then there yeah. was the, the same cycle, I think, or maybe it was the year. Yeah, I think it defensive was defensive lineman from Tennessee. Ru I was just going to name him Rutger Reitmeier, who was my Big first. Rut. I did a, a long feature story with him about how great he was time at Oregon was going to be. And he trained like, <laughs> lasted like after, all ten days. <laughs> I don't even know if he. Yeah, I think he lasted. He like there was a break in spring, I think, and he he wasn't there when we got back. So it's like, all right, well, that didn't go well. Um, mm -hmm. and, and again, I we don't we're not reporting that there's any sign of like, oh yeah, we're hearing that so and so is really kind of questioning their decision. But th that is also part of the human element, and that's right in identifying that. Of shoot, who knows? Maybe the way they get to, you know, they get down a scholarship or two is there's a guy who just doesn't pan out from this cycle, whether it be academics, whether it be something off the field, whether it be they get here and they're not comfortable staying here, etc. So there there are other ways to, to kind of. I don't want to say creatively get there because those wouldn't be intentional, but there are other ways for the numbers to kind of work themselves out. It's tough to rely on those though. Oh, it really sure is. is. Yeah. You're not, you're not relying you on those. I'm just saying you're opening. That's a, a possibility of if you go into spring at, let's say 88, let's say they right. you know, two more players go or whatever today, hypothetically, maybe you get to the end of spring. 100%. Oh shoot. Now we're actually only at 86. That's, that's easier to manage. Yeah, I was just going off the question where it's asked if, if it's possible they are also working under the assumption that some 
you can't do that. You can't work under the assumption that oh, someone's right. just not going to like it here. Um, they might. I mean, it's going to be in the spring, so it'll be nice and sunny. They won't get to see December yet. But you can't operate under the assumption that some guy's just going to jump ship. And if you are, I think it would behoove somebody more in the tra- who's already transferred into Oregon to just jump right back in the transfer portal. Because if I were Oregon, I'd rather have a guy who has four to five years of eligibility left than someone who has two to three, even depending on uh, depending on talent, obviously. But four to five, greater than two to three. So uh, if you were under operating under that assumption, it would, it would it would be better even if it were a transfer portal to jump ship after a week after they're not liking living in Oregon or not liking the team, whatever. Um, that's uh yeah. That's it. I, I, it's just hard to operate under that assumption, even though it has happened to Oregon in the past. Um, I was just going to bring something up, and then it slipped my mind. Um, hmm. Shoot. This is great. This is great podcasting, by the way. It's great. In com- um, it's also great in conversations when this happens, when you're like, oh, yeah, I had a thought. Now I don't have the thought. So regardless of if it's being recorded on a podcast or not, it's not fun to forget what you're <laughs> thinking. Um, guys that are enrolled at Oregon, um, we know it's like 30. Uh, we haven't confirmed all 30, but I do think every single transfer is here. Um that would be nine. We've confirmed 14 uh, high school enrollees. So that would be 23. So we're working on trying to figure out who the other seven guys are um, that are on campus right now for Oregon. And part of this is transfer era portal playing. But Eric, you mentioned this to me like a couple days ago. Of like, holy crap, 30 is a lot. Even 23 like 100% confirmed is a lot. I mean, that would be seven years ago, almost your entire recruiting class getting on campus early. Um, That is a a large number, and it gets guys into the program and the weight room program, which they've started now, their off-season preparations um, sooner, which it's going to make spring practice – for all three of us, and I know in particular Eric, he's just going to go crazy with all the new numbers, all the new players. The new roster is going to look totally different. My favorite time of year. Uh, it'll be fun sitting out there with the guys, tracking, familiarizing myself with all the faces so I can take attendance every day. Um, no, and you're right. And, and if it is 30, we'll add seven to the freshman class. Now you've got 21 out of 28 that are enrolled or something. like that's yeah. Dan, Dan said 15 was the spring number or about. They get to 21. That's crazy. Because I think I think 14 is is a school record in terms of most early enrollees for spring football, as far as I can recall. Um, you know, I don't think there were many before I started doing this about five years ago. And certainly in the five years I've done it, I think there have been a couple of years where it's been six to eight, but 14 is a lot. And I think that is going to be one of the trends you see here maybe is um, – is seeing players enroll earlier. Not that that's a new trend, but I mean, the rate to it, and maybe it's a one-off year, but the rate of which Oregon has, you know, moved from players being signees to being enrollees is, is much quicker and much greater in terms of just the pure size and quantity of it than we've ever seen before. And I think it's going to pay pretty large dividends. Now, one thing I was thinking about last night, I don't think Oregon had a single true freshman start a game this past year. 
I so just who, closed that tab of all the stats. I don't think so. It starts. I don't think so. I'm pretty sure that's true because I was kind of in charge of the true freshman deal. Yep. That's a really interesting kind of storyline to follow with Dan here. I know it's one year sample size, it's one class, so it's really not even enough data to really draw any conclusions. But I'll be curious to see after 2023, like, is that going to be a trend where we go, oh, Dan recruits these guys, they're really highly rated. He says over and over again, you know, if they're good enough, they're old enough. But will he, does he feel comfortable actually giving him starting roles, right? Like, that's going to be something that's interesting. And when you have so many guys enrolled for spring, Right, I mean, it at least paves the way for them to have enough time mm -hmm. to, to develop into that sort of situation. But I just thought that was interesting last night. I was kind of thinking about it. Gosh, the last time anyone started as a true freshman, you'd have to go back to, to Mario's final season. Mm -hmm. um, and I was trying to think of even who that, who even that was who started some games uh, back in... Was it Troy? In 21. Yeah, it would have been the Troy-Dante-Thornton combo in the bowl game both started. Um, yeah. Jackson Powers-Johnson started on defense in the bowl game. So I guess you wouldn't have Oh, uh, yeah. It was, was a weird time. Year. But anyway, yeah. I just 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 a thing to kind of monitor. It was we're talking true freshman. I I had thought of that last night of of because somebody somebody had asked me on social media like if Oregon does land Nichols Harbor, maybe this we can go into this conversation of like does he start day one? And I kind of thought no, I don't think so. Heavens no. I think Terrence Ferguson is is your starter this year. Um, and in general, starting true freshman doesn't happen very often. And that got me kind of down the the, the thought process of what was who who started last season? Nobody started all last year. So maybe this is a think to track in, in 23 with landing of does, does this guy ever start a true freshman is that something he does i mean it might be depending on what the depth is at a certain uh certain position group just i i don't know which true freshman would have started last season to be honest with you right like i like uh maybe connerly just because he got the most amount of time but that entire offensive line came back from a season sure. ago so I don't know. A lot, it, a, a lot of it's situational, and I just said there, yeah. there's, no, there's no there's such little data. But I mean, like it, it's going to be something to follow with Dan of like, hey, who's yeah, going to be the I, first guy to start as a true freshman? I don't know. Eric, that's not only just. Uh oh. There goes Matt again. Okay, I wasn't sure if that was just my screen where he was froze. No, I. Uh, what I was going to say is that. Like like you said, it's entirely positional dependent. Um, if I were to guess which true freshman could start this next year, uh, probably Jury on Dickey, just because that's a limited receiver room. And if some guy goes down, um, yeah. that could be just an immediate, hey, we need to get somebody in there. who's And also, Dickey is very talented. He can do that kind of thing. Um, yeah. No, no, you're right, though. I'm just going through the positions. That would be the one that would make the most sense unless Sadiq ends up winning that job over Ferguson or Harbor. But that's not going to happen you know, barring injury. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I don't know. Sadiq is such an interesting body type in a tight end room that I could see them like maybe having a package where his he six might, three, yeah. his, his bigger body, like that could be a start. But I don't even think that'd be a start. I think that would just be a package. Yeah. Like they wouldn't come out in that two they, tight end set. They could like though, that. because I mean, because actually goes back to the fact that Ferguson started six games last year, and yet he was by far their their, their most snapped tight end. But for, I think Madibal yeah. and McCormick each had like. I want to say, again, it's been a little bit since I've looked at this. You might have seen McCormick more recently because I think you wrote that story. But I think those guys each started like six or eight games, something like that. Because they had McCormick started 10 games. Is that right? Yeah. I, I knew it was yeah, a larger number than transfer you transfer story. It, yeah. it was a lot. Um, yeah, but the reason he started and the reason Maliki Matavau started were, were they were good blockers. They're just better blockers than Terrence Ferguson. So, yeah. I don't know. We'll see what Will Stein wants to do. Um Let's, should we 
Should well, we Matt, take a break? So just, yeah, let's take a break. Matt is, I believe, coming back right now. So Matt can lead us in after the break. Okay. All right, welcome back to the Ozanalos podcast. <laughs> I don't know what happened there. I just like blank screen, bomb, everything gone. You you were you were saying I was mentioning the true freshman thing, and you said Eric, it's not even true. Fre-. And then <laughs> you were gone. You were gone. Well, I was going like to say it's not even just true freshman that didn't start. Uh, out of again the, I can't remember the number. It's twelve. Times 20, uh, 24, 288 potential starts this season. Only 34 of those were given to true sophomores. Yeah, yeah. And most of the, that was a lot of Troy Franklin there. That's like all yes. Troy, Troy Franklin starts and some Ferguson, Matavell starts. Yeah. Yeah. So not only did the freshmen not play a lot, uh, the true sophomores didn't play a lot either, or at least start. Um just saying, we've got a trend here. We've got a little trend here with Dan and Young guys. He's the uh, Rick Rick Carlisle of, of college football coaches. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? That's a reference <laughs> of Rick Carlisle, notoriously never played rookies. Anyway, who cares? It's an NBA reference nobody's going to get, obviously. Sorry, my bad. I got it. I did not get it, but I'm not the biggest diehard NBA guy like you two are. So, um, Do we want to talk – what what comes next or we want to dive into into the into the chat what what would come next i'm interested to see what it is that is coming next well i mean there's the second window and i i yeah. think ah. um I, I think from a, a spring perspective we don't have like spring dates yet but what i've been told is they're floating around the idea that you have either most of or all of spring practice completed by the start of the May 1st window to transfer yeah, to give the staff and the players a clear idea of where they fit on the depth chart. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I, I think there's going to be that next wave of departures and it's probably going to be coming in May. And that's where I think, you know, you go into spring football, maybe this is a, a topic we flesh out in more detail later on, but, there's going to be a lot of um, guys to watch that either makes or breaks their time here at Oregon. Like whether that's setting them up as a role player in 2023 and then they expand on that role in years to come, or it's like, this is their last chance. If, you know, if they want to play at Oregon, this could be their last chance. And you know, that, that opens the door then for transfers which is where it's going to come from. So, yeah, no, I, I've been kind of thinking about this spring of, I know it's not going to be exactly this, but there could legitimately be like, all right, we've only got so many spots available on this roster. And I know you, you can't do this quite like in the NFL, but like, cause you can't make last cuts quote unquote, but like, Hey, if you think you're deserving of a spot on our roster, go prove it in the spring and play really, really well. And, and, and there's maybe a, a couple of guys where that's where they're kind of at and why they haven't hit the portal because they think that they're capable of of going out and, and, and proving to the coaching staff that they deserve to be here longer, even though maybe the coaching staff has some doubts. I don't know. Um, but they Oregon will certainly go into spring, barring a crazy Friday afternoon here where just everybody hits the portal over the number. And that means there will be players on the roster who 
still have to make decisions after spring. And ultimately, I imagine how spring goes will make some determination on some of that. The other thing somebody floated to me a couple of days ago was it's also possible players who haven't finalized sorry, their academics will want to graduate and go through spring football to then finish their academics and then hit the portal, which could make some sense in terms of finishing their, their undergraduate degree. Um, but just another thought in terms of why players might stick around a little longer, that was made by somebody who pointed to a, a pretty prominent player on the team who hasn't apparently finished the undergraduate degree, and that's something that this person had heard was a possibility. So um, another thing to maybe just kind of monitor in terms of what, why, why are some players sticking around through spring who, who ends up hitting the portal. Yeah, and this is, this is what I was referencing earlier where I talked about Oregon going into spring camp with 117 scholarships. Um, this is normal. Uh, after some quick research, I, I did this yesterday. Um, Georgia, I think, went into spring camp last year with 93 players on their scholarship roster. So this is this is just what happens. It's, it's going to be natural attrition. It's going to be kind of like what Eric mentioned in the NFL where they have last cuts, where you get into competition with guys. And when it's clear that this player is not as good as this player, um, then that the player who isn't as good usually hits the transfer portal. Um, that's interesting, Eric, about the, the scholarship or not the scholarship, but the finishing of grad or graduating and finishing the degree. Um, I'm sure that has a lot to do with it, too. I know that um, a lot of these guys take classes in the summer to, to stay in yep. Eugene and work out uh, in Eugene with the with the correct facilities. So they take a lot of summer classes as well. Um, I don't know how that graduation process would impact Oregon scholarship distribution. But maybe that'll have something to do with it too. But then again, the transfer portal window is closed at a certain date. So I, I would imagine if if Oregon goes into spring with 94, 93 scholarship guys, I wouldn't worry about it. But there's also the whole entire other transfer portal period for Oregon to add new players. So yeah. that's that's the other side of it where it's like, all right, well, probably these guys are going to leave the program if they're still here in the spring. And oh yeah, Oregon's going to get at 92 scholarships regardless because they're going to add a bunch of new players because now they know exactly what they do or do not need. It's it's going to be like men's basketball where like Dana always held a scholarship in case there was a guy who wanted to transfer like in the spring. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Maybe Oregon is always like we're going to be at 84. We're going to like assume we're at 84 just because we want to make sure we can maybe add a guy or two after that second window. I don't know. There's just there's so many pieces that are moving here where you're trying to figure out kind of how all this comes together and. And even though we've been covering this for a long time, this is all brand new to us in terms of the way all this is going to play out. I mean, these, these rules this year are literally in their first. This is the first time we've had these different openings and windows for portals. So it's there's it's tough. It's wild. There's some discussion in the chat about starting at corner. Yeah. And there's too many people to, to throw in here. It's not really one question, but I think we should discuss this because we've seen Kyrie Jackson and Jalo Florence. We've seen Jalo Florence and Tricos Bridges. Dante Manning got a lot of starts this past season. Um, we played a lot this past season for Oregon. Um, and we'll go way more in depth on this um, as spring gets closer. But I, I think this is one of the position groups where there is a lot on the line, even for the returners, because who starts? Gonzo's gone. Bridges was solid to good in some moments and was pretty poor in others. Manning was the same way. But I don't think anyone can – you can definitively say like anyone should be the guy at the position. And so there's going to be a lot of 
I, I think this is what makes spring so fascinating for people like us is, and the diehard fan is that there's going to be like legit position battles. Like they won't decide who wins, but it, this is where it starts. And this is one of those position groups where there's going to be a lot of movement, a lot of trial and a lot of competition to see who, who elevates. Yeah. I think if assuming Quez is playing corner, which I guess is an assumption in of itself, because it's possible he moves to safety, but the fact they've hit safety so hard this off season, or it looks like they're uh -huh. trying to, makes me believe maybe they just feel like they're comfortable with him there. Um, I think Quez is just one of your starting corners. Now, is he your top corner? I don't know. He hasn't proven it yet, right? Like Gonzalez was clearly your number one guy this past season. It wasn't even close. And I thought, again, I thought Quez played really well down the stretch for the most part. Maybe had a couple of errors here or there, but I thought played pretty darn good. So I feel comfortable penciling him in into a starting lineup. The other one, I agree. Like you, there's three names like off the top of my head that I mean make a lot of sense. Kyrie Jackson transfers from Alabama. He has some starting experience in the SEC, physically gifted. Makes a lot of sense that he would be somebody who could push to start. But then you also have two highly regarded former recruits and Dante Manning and then Julio Florence, who were kind of battling all season this last year to be your number three corner, right? Kind of maybe doing yeah. a little bit of a dress rehearsal, if you will, to, to get a full-time role in 23. So um, those are kind of the four names to me that stand out. Um, I don't know if there's anyone else that like maybe a Jaleel Tucker, same class as Jaleel Florence. Tucker didn't play at all this last year. Maybe he has a really strong offseason. This is a really highly rated recruit as well and develops. Mm -hmm. like that could happen. But I, I really think your two starters are coming from the group I mentioned before. And I guess, I don't know, uh, I'd probably lean Jackson or Manning just based upon experience levels at this point. Um, Manning was the most highly regarded as a prep recruit, a former five-star, just hasn't quite figured it out yet. So um, those would be the names to me at corner that, that, that stand out. And I guess if I'm doing it all in pencil, I'd, I'd probably go – Quez and Dante Manning, which makes me think I'm in a time machine to last year when we were talking about those guys as being these breakout players in the secondary. And yet yep. Dante, Dante didn't end up winning the job and I would say had kind of an underwhelming season based upon expectations we had in spring that he was going to take a big leap. Yeah, I I, I don't know. I, I think this is, at least right now, we haven't seen anything, so we'll never or we won't have any idea of what it really looks like until spring practice starts. Uh, I think it's Bridges and Jackson, and I think that Florence and Manning battle for that number three spot. Um, Could I, I think I think Jackson is is the most experienced one of everybody, but Bridges. I think Bridges, if he stays at cornerback, is clearly you know fine by Oregon standards to be a cornerback. He starts, um, and then Jackson is just an elite athlete who played played well in his in his limited slap, snaps at Alabama. Um, I think that type of athlete doesn't come around here often. Uh, that type of cornerback who has that size and skill and then also understands how to be a cornerback, uh, I think that's a huge asset for Oregon. Uh, and I think that's the problem with Manning and, and Florence during their limited snaps is that cornerback is an extremely hard position to learn. Um, I think that's why Triquas Bridges in his first year from moving to safety to cornerback got exposed a lot is that he just has to learn the position through experience. Um, Manning, I could again. I'll, I'll start saying it again this spring. I think I could make. I could see him make a jump. I just don't want to give up on a player like that who has that great of size and size and just pure athleticism. He has all the again, intangibles. Right? He has every all intangible you'd ever want for a quarterback. He's tall-ish. He's got really long arms. He's got quick speed, quick feet. It just comes down to functionality, and it comes down to learning the position, and it comes down to technique. And eventually, if those things all click.
he could be good. We haven't seen any of them click yet. And but I will not sell my Dante Manning stock. I will keep it. Um, I think he could be a big challenger to Kyrie Jackson. But for now, I think it's in my brain. I think it's very clearly Triquez Bridges and Kyrie Jackson as the starting corners. What do we make of the fact that Tysheem, um Johnson and the interest that Oregon has? Because I, I think that tells us they're still not comfortable yet with what they have at cornerback. Safety. Safety? Yeah, he's a nickel safety at all. Oh, that's right. That's right. I'm getting the other guy that entered the portal confused. But Jimmy even then, at safety. Yeah. Uh, even even then though, um, the the question still stands. Like, why would they? Yeah. Why would they go after Tashim Johnson? I understand he's going to be a sophomore and he's got plenty of years left of experience, but yeah, like you've well, you've got Steve Stevens, Brian Addison, Jamal Hill all back. Evan Williams is joining the fold. Yeah. Um, and yet you go after this guy. It, that tells me like they're not comfortable yet with the depth or the talent that they have at the position. Or maybe this guy's just widely better than ever, you know, everyone on the well, roster. You have to go after him. What I think is that he's a pure nickel safety. That's basically all he's played during his college experience at Ole Miss. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's really productive too. He had 78 tackles this past season, eight tackles for loss. I think he like three or four passes defended. Uh, grades very well on PFF. Uh, grades very well with the eye test when you watch games with him playing in it. Um, all those safeties that you listed, Matt, are all free safeties. Those guys yeah. don't really have a lot of experience playing nickel, except for Jamal Hill, who uh, rarely played it this past season, even though going into the year, they uh, uh, coach Joe Lorig said that he's a nickels coach for Oregon. Um, he said that, oh, we'll, we'll be splitting Bennett Williams and Jamal Hill mostly. And that just didn't happen. Jamal played free safety on the left or right side of the field, um, kind of split that time too. And Bennett Williams played nickel safety, except when Christian Gonzalez played nickel corner. But uh, Tysheem Johnson is just a pure nickel safety. I think Oregon is going after him because they need one. They need one pretty bad because Evan Williams, as good as he is, he's a good free safety. Brian Addison, as good as he is, free safety. Steve, free. Jamal Hill, free safety. They just don't have a pure nickel safety other than J.J. Greenfield on the roster. And Greenfield um, is still a walk-on for all we know. Um assuming that he hasn't been given a scholarship yet. And I like J.J. Greenfield. I think he's funny. I think he's he's kind of good when he gets in there to play. But you can't rely on that for an entire season. And, Jah- and Taheem Johnson is good. I, I really like him. He's good tackling in space. He gets downhill. I think he's a really good safety. I think Oregon, if they can get him, they, they'll make this they'll make the scholarship numbers work. And that's that was what I was going to be. We we're going to have similar answers. My, my point was going to be remember how difficult it was earlier in this week when we were talking about the starting secondary of okay, you got the safeties, but who's really going to be your nickel? Because yeah. nobody yep. really returned who played there. Tyshim Johnson would be somebody who makes some sense to fill in there. And from a pure body type perspective, 5'10, a compact 200 pounds, like that, that adds up for what you want for a player playing in the box as well as. as, as maintaining some coverage responsibilities. So mm-hmm. si- sign me up if that would make some sense. Um, but then I also kind of go like, gosh, now you're really carrying a lot of those deep safeties. And at some point you're kind of going like, it's one of those guys, maybe they're all going to plan on coming back, but one of those guys is going to be the quote unquote final cut hits the portal after spring. I don't know, mm-hmm. but you are going to have a certainly a glut of, of deep safeties, like four guys who basically are borderline starters 
who are going to be on this team. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because they really struggled with that position. So having, as Matt has said several times, the cream rise to the top at safety, I think that makes sense. If there's a position to bring in a couple extra guys and let them battle it out and maybe have some turnover after the, the spring, that would be one that would add up for me. Do we feel like the safety rooms improved from what it was last year? Uh, yeah, I guess. Well, at this it's point, the it's the same like a, as it was last year. I feel like right? it's the same. Yeah, I was going to say, like, is Evan – we don't know Evan's better than Bennett. That's the only real change. Yeah. Well, yeah, and they bring in Turner and DeCambra, so I guess I like those that. Those aren't contributors probably, though, more than likely. No, but I guess I like that there's more than just, like, one true freshman on the roster that's a safety. There's now two, so it's double it. But, yeah, well – until we see how good or not good Evan Williams is at the power five level, I guess the it's up in the air. Um, this question is interesting. Are there question marks on Drew Maringer with all these tight end losses? Um, I don't think there's questions on Drew Maringer because both the guys that departed, well, I guess there's three Terrell Tillman, do we want to, I don't really count him as a tight end. He moved out <laughs> I of I mean, you have to, though. I mean, he, he was a scholarship tight end, so you got it. But I yeah. understand your point. He didn't play. Like, he didn't play, but he also probably didn't play tight end if Spencer Webb didn't pass away um, this past season. Um, but his departure would have happened probably anyways. Cam and Maliki both left, I think, because like they knew like Ferguson's the top guy at the position. While both those guys started more games than Ferguson, like he was the guy that got the most targets. He was probably the guy that played the most snaps. Um, he was the focal point, and he's coming back. And when you have three guys that are capable of starting at a Power Five or a Division One school, it's hard to keep all three, like unless they know like both, you know. I've got three years left and this guy's got one, you know, he, he's gone. So I, I don't think there's much to worry about with Drew Maringer with the current departures, but had they not landed AJ Plagmino of South Medford or North Medford high school in the 2024 class, I would have started getting concerned because Riley Williams uh, went to Miami from the 2023 class. Uh, Olson, Joey Olson from Lake Ridge, another four-star tight end, went to USC. And if they had lost AJ to, to another school, you had three tight ends that were all elite players at that position in two classes and you didn't land one, that would have been a big mistake, a big concern. But they got him. They got Sadiq as well. Uh, now if they get Nicholas Harbor, like I think there shouldn't be any concern about Drew Maringer as a tight ends coach. To the departures – I just think you look at what the expectations both players had, and they were both probably not going to align with the realities of what was going to be at Oregon. And with yeah. Maliki, he wanted to be in a a little bit more of a feature role. And if you're, you know, and probably for and have maybe some commitment that that's going to be the case for a couple of seasons. Whereas Cam is looking to basically audition to prove himself to, to play at the next level. Yep. And my understanding is he wasn't thrilled with the number of pass targets he was getting in this offense. And if you go look at the numbers, he really wasn't targeted very much here. Go to another school, maybe that changes. Maybe in Miami he has an opportunity to, to be a little bit more of a featured part in the pass game. Um, but you look you at know, 
I was going to say, you, you know Mario. He loves using his tight ends, right, Eric? Oh, he's a huge fan of throwing the ball to tight ends, baby. Yeah, um, you know it. But no, I so I, I just think you look at what their expectations were, and they probably don't align with with what the reality was going to be. Uh, at the same time, I don't want to give them a total free pass for losing two of your three guys who were playing big roles. So like, if this continues to be, this is the same point I had earlier on. Like, I think there's so such minimal data right now that it's really hard to draw any big conclusions. Which is why I'm like, I'm not sure if Dan is opposed to playing true freshman or if, as Jared Knight and Matt kind of discussed earlier. Turns out there just weren't situations where two freshmen were going to get an opportunity to start. I'm also not ready to say, oh, gosh, Drew Maringer keeps chasing off tight ends because they lost two in this year. He could go the next four years without having a player transfer out at tight end, and he'd be like, man, Drew Maringer is awesome at retaining his players. Like, I just think it's too small of a sample size. But it's certainly something to keep an eye on, and if it becomes a trend of every year, you're like, well, gosh, why is every good tight end they sign transferring after two years? That's the problem. Um, then we can have that discussion, but I think it's premature to, to point the finger that way. Yeah, I don't see there's any reason to blame Drew Maringer. Like, absolutely none. I know that that he lost uh, Joey Olson. Is it Joey Olson? Big Joey. Uh, yeah. That yeah, it's, it's Logan Olson, but Logan is a baseball player. Uh, Riley Williams it moved to Miami, so happens. Uh, Pugliano is a really good 2024 prospect. You land Sadiq, you're in the running for Nicholas Harbor. This is a guy who recruited Drew McCoy originally to Texas way back in the day before he's now somewhere. Um, I don't think he's, I don't think he's any longer with USC. Um, this is a guy who knows how to recruit. Uh, he loses two tight ends. It's unfair to judge him that people from his transfer or from his position group entered the transfer portal because that's what happens to everybody. Um, we could all yell at Dan Lanning because he lost 20 players from his team who entered the transfer portal. But we went through 25 minutes of saying why we're not going to yell at Dan. Um, so for, for, for Maringer, he just got to keep doing what he's doing. Like Cam and Maliki leaving, it's, it is what it is. I mean, I would have liked to have seen Maliki play this upcoming season. But um, for Cam, he's not going to get any targets here. He's not going to get any targets in Miami. Uh, he's a really good blocking tight end. That's his best skill set. Uh, we saw him occasionally catch a pass, but Terrence Ferguson is way better at it. Uh, Kenyon Sadiq is way better at it. And I don't know, maybe then Patrick Herbert seemed to be better at it too, given his 49-yard touchdown touchdown run so or touchdown catch. So I'm fine. I don't think there's any reason to, to see, see negatively about Drew Maringer and his position group. Nolan. Uh, Drebbing, do you think Dowdell, James, or Lamar could take the number two spot from Washington? We've said no on that. Whittington. Previously. Whittington. Uh, yeah, Whittington, sorry. Um, that blended my next question. I was going to turn this into, do we think Dowdell or Lamar could kind of surpass Jordan James? I, my first reaction is no. Um. Well, and no. to, to the first question from Nolan, we've we actually answered this on a mailbag not too long ago, and we all pretty. Is that the one, Jared, where you called the question asker dumb or something? Is that the one where you? Whoa, really hey, no, I said that that was a silly question. <laughs> it was never needed to be asked that, again. Please, was that, you, was that where you just completely maligned our our listeners and and said that they had low IQs and that they should, you know, stop? Jeez. Yeah, for, for everybody who's listening, yeah, please don't ever ask us a question again. That's that silly. Um, <laughs> no, but to, 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 to I, I, I also. sarcasm, by the I, way, people. We're also. I, Jared also never said exactly that. He said so. He was, you, you, did, you, you did kind of question the question. 
right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, sure. Yeah, but uh, no, I, I took. I think Matt did a good job of reframing the question because I think we've already established we don't expect Whittington to lose that role. Um, if if and if he's not the number two, it's probably due to injury. Um, the Jordan James one, like I could be convinced that Dante Dowdell comes in and is already a large human being at 6'2", about 210 pounds, spends the offseason getting closer to 220, and is just physically developed enough to challenge for the short yardage goal line role that Jordan James had this last year. Like I could certainly be convinced that that's an outcome that takes place. I would be surprised if Jaden Lamar wins that role. If it, and again, we also have to recognize, like I think Carlos Lachlan makes a lot of the personnel decisions, but Will Stein might also be a, a coach, offensive coordinator, who's like, I, I would prefer just to keep Bucky and Noah in, in short yardage and you take away that role and it's really only two players you're playing. Like There could be different philosophies for how they use running backs, but if we're assuming there's going to be a, a third running back who, like last season and even in previous years, remember with Cyrus Sibivilikio, who will be kind of your your short yardage goal line guy, then yeah, I could be convinced Dante Daldell could eventually overtake Jordan James, but I wouldn't bet on it. Like I think Jordan James played really well in that role, and frankly, I know Daldell's taller. Jordan James is just as physically developed, and, and that lower body, like Jordan James, is a really bulky runner. And I really mm -hmm. kind of appreciate that from a short yardage perspective of you don't necessarily need a tall guy. Like sometimes the, the lower body strength and kind of the the leverage you can get is better for a player who's a little shorter and more stockier. So um, I, I'm, I could be convinced it's down that down, down, that wouldn't stun me, but I would still lean with James being more likely to be the, the short yardage guy if that is a role this year. Yeah, I'd be surprised if if Dowdo takes over that position. I thought James did a really good job at it last year. I know that there was very yeah. short yarded situations, but um, you know, towards the end of Arizona and towards the end of or uh, during the North Carolina and the Holiday Bowl game, you saw Jordan James out in the open field, and then you're like, oh yeah, 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 that's right, he can do that. Um, very talented running back, and so is Dante Dowdell. I, I mean, I look at everybody in that running back room, and they're all competing for the number three spot because Bucky Irving and Noah Whittington are those guys. And maybe Will Stein has a goal line running back. Maybe he doesn't. This is a completely new offense. We don't know what it's going to look like. Maybe he's very traditional and just QB sneaks everything that's third and short or third or fourth and one, um, which I would really appreciate. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I'm not going to say that Jordan James can't be un, uh, dethroned from this position by Dowdell or Lamar, but – for now, I'm just gonna. I, I would just keep riding with Jordan James, stocky guy. Like I, I like Eric's point, where it's like it's better to be kind of short and stocky and run through. That's why Noah Whittington, even though a lot of people for some strange reason don't think that Noah Whittington is any good, um, that's why Noah Whittington, when he throws his weight into somebody because he's short and stocky, they go flying and he just keeps running. Um, so I, I like that about Jordan James. That's why my my uh, theory that Derrick Henry is a very short or a very poor short yard running back is because he cannot create enough inertia and momentum because he's so damn tall. So I, I like the shorter running backs and the shorter goal line scenarios. But um, for now, I still want Jordan James as my third down back. We'll have to see Dante Dowdell. Maybe he's just comes in. He's like Mark Ingram. He's like the Hulk and just destroys people. But um, <laughs> we'll see. I, I'm excited to watch him because he's his tape is phenomenal. I love it. Can, can I ask something to the chat? What, what's what's going on with the Noah Whittington? Uh, I, people I get don't it all think the he's time. good. It's no, crazy. I get it all the time. It's strange. I don't know. I don't. I don't get it either. He, he's good. He's like over six yards a carry. 
Yeah, I mean, he was – I don't have the stats in front of me, but there was like a three-game stretch, it felt like, that he was putting up better numbers than – Yeah, no, there was. Up, than it was, uh, Bucky it was, was. It was up until – yeah, it was up until like the, the Oregon State game, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I got one thing here to address maybe, and then we we, we call it a show, Matt. Is that yeah. fair? Yeah. This is going to be quick because I think it's worth the question from Trello. Will Justin Jacobs be available this spring? With the injury, which was, I believe, believe a, a knee injury, he suffered – I can't remember if it was their week second two, game. Right, it was early. First or second week. two week. against Some, Rutgers. Sometime in September. I would be surprised if he's full participant in spring. I would imagine you're looking at him being full participant at some point in fall, depending on the severity of that knee injury. But that could be could be wrong. I will, we'll have to kind of poke around and get a feel for that one. But that's, that's a good question because I, I haven't seen that really brought up um, a lot. But that – my understanding was when I signed him, uh, or when he when he committed, uh, that that he was he was going to not be available right away. I'll be interested to see what, like, if he is if he is because I I don't know. I mean, we'll have to do some digging about what what's his health status. But um, like Matt said earlier, all the transfer portal guys are enrolled on campus, so he's he's there. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if he is healthy by spring football because. That would really help Oregon's linebacker development if they get him in and get him learning the system on the field, not just through the playbook, just immediately. Because I, again, I like I've talked about him before. I really like his play style, what he could add to Oregon's defense. It's gonna do it for us here on the Autzen Audible's podcast. Thank you for watching the live stream. Remember, go uh, onto YouTube and you can find us there. Oregon Ducks on twenty four seven Sports. Uh, like that channel, subscribe to that channel. It's awesome. And if you're listening to the podcast and audio is your way to go, thank you for doing that as well. We appreciate that as well. Uh, until the next one, you've been listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.